All right, Johnny. Yes. Here, I'm going to turn my hat around so it's a different setting. <laughs> Wardrobe change. So we've got Johnny Ferentz. Uh, he's one of our guys in, in Central, as I learned. I thought it was North Central. It's Central, Nebraska. Where are you at? Ord. Ord, Nebraska. Ord, Nebraska. There you go. Shameless plug. Um, and Gibbs. Needs no introduction because he is Gibbs. Back in action again. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right 2.0. Yep. I've been in myself. So we've... We've got, we did another podcast um, with uh, Travis, yes, uh, and at the end of that podcast, man, we like started diving into the nitrogen talk, and we ran out of time because there's only so many gigs on a card, so we're going to talk about nitrogen. Johnny's got a, a history, or his background is agronomy, so I wanted to pull, but agronomy, but, so you've probably been taught everything that the institution teaches, but at the same time you've got... What the, institution? I'm, I don't, <laughs> get me start, don't get me started on institutions. <laughs> that upper education. Uh, is higher <laughs> education that you pay that you pay a lot for. Um, but you, you've got the real world experience of working with farmers, seeing soil tests, sap tests, everything else, and see, kind of taking the step back and seeing that this may not always make sense, the conventional teaching in this scenario, so on and so forth, and coming at things from an agronomist perspective, um, you know, where I wanted to bring that view of things in, and we started talking about nitrogen. Ben and Johnny last night, I was just listening, it was a fascinating conversation. We were talking about nitrogen and chloride in plants particularly corn, how to, and then we were talking in the last podcast about balances and imbalances in soil. So I wanted to talk, I mean, who knows where this thing's going to go, but I wanted to start out with the nitrogen chloride talk um, and then imbalances in a declining ag economy because that's, I mean, that that's, that's a huge topic right now. Guys are concerned about, you know, declining ROI and declining grain markets. So how do we... How do we handle this scenario while is fixing common issues in our fields and correcting things on a profitable level where it makes sense? Go, Johnny. Go. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we talked about that. What um, we we're just talking about FOSS six twenty four six with Travis. No. Him. Garrett, yes, yeah. sorry. Yeah. My bad. Get it straight, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so declining market. The hardest thing is, is he going to cut something? Like, everybody's going to have to cut something, right? And what do you want to cut that's not going to sacrifice yield? Because if you cut cut something and it costs you yield, then you just double lost. Bad. Double down bad your spot. loss, if not more. And so what exactly do you do? And Gibbs, is, you're just looking at a test, and this is what spurred that last talk, was yep. what do you do in a deal to optimize your really good scenario that you had set up on that field in yep. that deal, that test there? What exactly would you move to to optimize it on a declining market plus to hit, what, 350 bushel corn? Yes. <laughs> so. I know you want to sell me rain. Huh? I know you want to sell me rain. Yeah. I'll gift it. I'll gift I would some. buy it from you. I would buy I'll gift some. At this point. At this point, I would. 
just don't Every drill. Other year, I just don't not. drill any wells. They won't last. <laughs> I know. Because the gold. The gold's yeah, the gold. gold. to plug the wells. All right. Just clean that pump out. Yeah. 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 Out. Um, how do you on that? So on that field. So let's kind of pick back up on that field. Shooting for three hundred plus. Yes. With okay. adequate rain. Let's say we do get okay. adequate. Would you is this field one where you're farming for agronomics? Like 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 you want to you Both. really want to bust with the bubble with this thing? I, I want to bust the bubble, but I don't want to spend every day out there foliar feeding at midnight like okay. I did last year. Intensive management, but I not manage insane it smart, management. But I, I, it still has to be profitable. I'm not going to do this just to say, I grew 300 and some bushel corn or 400 <coughs> bushel corn, but I lost $75 an acre. Mm. Right. You know, I want to be able to do this and be like, hey, you can sustainably grow, and I hate the word sustain. You can, <laughs> let me back That's that up. That's a lot up. coming from Gibbs. I want to profitably grow high yield with minimal inputs. Yeah. That's a good way to say it. That's profit. Like, I didn't just go out there and dump down this much N and this much P and this much K. We fully are fed it eight times. We did three applications of fungicide. My goal is, I'm not, I'm not doing any fungicide on that field. I, I, I'm going to refuse to do fungicide because that field has not seen fungicide in three years since we went, went away from it. My goal is, if there's a disease or if there's a, we should be able to pick it up in the plant sap before it shows in the plant. But if we're, if, if we are low in certain nutrients, let's get out there and maybe foliar apply them while we can at an earlier age. And I'm also going off last year's SAP analysis on what we were low in. So I kind of got last year's report card to kind of go off of. I mean, it's not going to, every year's a little bit different, but I can see, well, last year we were short in this, this, and this. We did see it as a result. Maybe we need to apply it wide drop foliar with the planter. Johnny, so, have you seen, um, and I don't plan on using insecticide at only as a rescue agent. Ben talks a lot about rescuing. Yeah. You know, it has to so be a massive threshold. Moving preventative out of the program. I'm not organic. Sure. Mm -hmm. Throw that out there. But I do not want to use a pesticide and I do not want to use a fungicide. Don't get me wrong, there's probably some stuff on the seed treatment. But besides that, mm -hmm. you know. Okay. So if we imagine this glass is a corn plant. Okay. If you're listening to this on only audio, this is a, available on YouTube. Yeah. Shameless so this, this, this <laughs> it's You a, watch it there. It is clear. It is half full of water. That is exactly right. So a corn plant, most people think that it's going to take in what it needs. So it can only hold so much. Yep. It's not an indefinite thing. It's obvious. It's a physical thing, and it can only hold so much. People assume you put it around the plant, and it will only take in what it needs. Yep. That is true to an extent. Nitrogen, chloride, and there's one more. But those two in particular have no controlling deal. So if you keep putting it in there, you start filling your cup with those. Not your elements that it needs, that it actually has to work to get. So like phosphorus and potassium and calcium and things like that. So I want to tell people in a down market, cut in first. Because in will make all your other things more efficient. Like we were talking a little bit before. The get the nutrients, the heavy elements that they have to use biology to work with in before it fills up with all your nitrogen and your other junk. Your nitrogen, calcium. Is it sulfur? Uh, There's one other so. element. I thought potassium you can get an excess of. Like it'll, it it'll, it'll overconsume yeah. if it's too available per yeah. se. 
I know it can draw draw or create an issue too. There's one. But would that don't. be tied to chloride? No. Uh, um, when you look at the elemental uh, charts on what's positive and negatively charged, you want to try to keep a balance of positives and negatives. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's getting pretty in depth. Like, yeah. as a farmer, that's in depth above my. Mm -hmm. But I'm trying to learn it because yeah, that's the rabbit hole I like to dig. Yeah, into. it's a rabbit that's hole. What I'm about yeah, <laughs> all it's like, positives and negatives. Yeah, you yeah. put all this yeah. stuff out there. Well, that's all negative charge stuff. We need enough positive charge mm -hmm. stuff to balance it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know. And so it can't control those elements. So you're going to fill your whole cup up before you can even get anything else in there. So plants mechanism. Okay, I'm full of this. Well. Once it gets calcium and water, then you get a big, tall plant. And it's compensating for an overfull cup. Yep. And so it's trying to suck that in. So you get this big, long, lengthy corn with no yield. And then if you're foraged, that's okay. But we've proven recently it's not all about stock overall. Because you can have mass quality, quantity of plant, but you have poor quality plant. Yeah. And then feed availability, milk content, things like that go down. Or relative, what is it? Digestibility was yeah. a factor. Yeah, digestible nutrients. Yeah, yep. it goes down as you go up. But essentially, your number one thing that you're spending money on is driving the problem that you, it's driving your ROI down and it's also making your yield go down a lot of times. So nitrogen first, then phosphorus and potassium can follow those in a, like together. Don't go like down with one and not the other because you could potentially have more issues. So what would you, everyone, everyone's favorite talk is nitrogen. It doesn't matter like where you're from. It's probably because it's, mm, everyone uses it in yeah. virtually all crops. You'll get yes. soils that are high in FOSS, like, what's his name? Jeff. 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 And then you get guys that are high in potassium like me. Yes. Um, you guys like me have, yeah. are only high in crap. Like yeah. mag. <laughs> <The> only <laughs> I have no pot and I have too much of no good thing. Yeah, the only thing you really get into is high organic matter like Travis, and that, that'll buff off the nitrogen side, but still applying. So people like talk about it because you're going to buy it if you're unless you're growing like beans, and even some guys do that. Yes, there so. are guys applying nitrogen to beans. Yep. Okay. Um we got asked a quite how well you're thinking hard not naming any names yeah. there's no there's lots of companies <laughs> out there promoting nitrogen fixation nitrogen substitution etc lane actually reached out to me yesterday about this uh, with produce, producing nitrogen for plants Non-synthetically. It's been doing the soil's been doing it for thousands of years. Yeah. Right. How do we do how do we imitate that? How do we get our soils do doing it again? How do we, you know, maximize? I heard a talk the other day about you know training soil microbes to fix nitrogen again because they haven't for so long because of fighting other problems. Now I think that's kind of starting on this huge, you know. Yeah. They've bred that out of the corn because they don't want it to. There was a corn plant discovered down in Mexico, I believe it was. South America brought South north of Mexico. And it was a uh, old seed heritage breed, and it had so much mucus coming off. I've the, seen that. I've that seen it, that, that mucus was producing 
was dripping onto the soil, producing the nitrogen for the plant. Like it was some type of bacteria in that extremely biologically activity mucus that was sweet when you tasted it. Really? Yes. Like it looked like snot. Let's call it snot. You call it corn snot. It's dripping off of the roots. We're so dry, we never see it at home. (laughs) Yeah, when you got that corn plant growing, the embrace roots are above it, it was dripping off the embrace roots under the soil. And they call it corn snot. You can Google it. Mm-hmm. It's a picture of a meter intact. Yeah. There was a company working on that, and essentially you inoculated the, I call it sap, because I don't like mucus. That's gross. <laughs> it's it's true. Not, that's about like calling it pus or something yeah. like that. That's just disgusting. Corn pus. <laughs> it's just moist. Yeah. <laughs> the other trigger word. The other yeah. Moist. Yeah. yeah. Um, so how do, how do we... Trying to be very catering to the people who are extreme on one side, anti-synthetic, but still cater to the guys in the operation, myself included, to where I can't, you know, I'm not going to raise a crop with no nitrogen. How do we, where is that fine line of decreasing synthetic, boosting biology, and still not sacrificing yield? maximizing ROI, literally the perfect soil health and profit combo. So we talked before we got cut off on the last one of growing up excess nitrogen in the plant material and then breaking that down. down. And that's to the point of the mucus thing. (laughs) 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 Oh, gosh. To the point of that, you're essentially doing things with soils that's not naturally meant to do. You're not naturally going to grow tons and tons of material an acre to remove and then do something else with it. Yep. And so you got to have this nitrogen addition to support what we're doing. So there's nothing natural about farming in particular. And so what do you do? So or you know fixing nitrogen naturally and stuff breaking down organic material like what would be your take on that when you grow a cover crop and terminate it and then it breaks down it goes it it breaks down in the soil and we goes through biological activity to make nutrients available like it decomposes goes into the form that the plant can pull it up you know it's like composting, you know, the worms break it down, microbes break that down, make it available for the plant. That doesn't happen in like two weeks time. You can't just mm-hmm. terminate your cover crop and be like, ah, in two weeks, that nitrogen's all going to yeah. be there. <clears throat> so the talk of organic, ma- <laughs> organic matter and organic material yep. feeding the nitrogen fixation component. Yep. And I'll be honest, so that I would banked be... on that a little bit hard this year. My material breaking down to be available by August, July, yeah. August for my corn crop, you know, when it needed the ear fill, that's when it needs the nitrogen. We didn't get no rain. I was going to say, what yeah. do you need for decomposition? I had three foot of biomass, yeah. and we, we terminated it, we roller crimped it so it was flat, and then I planted it in beautiful planting conditions, cleaned the row, like, everything was awesome. Never rained. Mm-hmm. You know, and that biomass just sat there. Yeah, it was protecting my soil from the heat, but it never broke down. Yep. Like, it literally never, I had all this biomass there that was not breaking this down. Bio. We never got no rain. So that brings another good point. People talk about, you know, fixing their own nutrients and stuff like that. Eventually, carbon nitrogen is going to, ratios are going to wow. get oh, my you. My C to N ratio is way out of whack. Yep. I had way too much carbon 
and it was just tying it up. Well, that, you know, it still takes moisture to feed the microbes so they can work. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have much microbial activity in a desert. <laughs> you know, yeah. it takes moisture to make microbes work. See, that's where I come in. Kind of lucky because I, irrigation is just very common. I mean, every field's a pivot. So when I go to a field that had a cover crop on it, there's some fields that at the end of the year, even though we've been spraying water on it, it's still not decomposed. And that tells me that that biology is not as active as it should be right. right away. I mean, we always have that factor going on. But some of my fields that are the most uh, better at rotating nutrition, they're gone by 4th of July. You know, you yeah. could can, can see the difference. Now, I mean, take in mind, too, if you're planting it green versus terminated before you plant. There's, there's different variances there, but it's just amazing field by field how much different that decomposition can be. <clears throat> so water in your area, yes. irrigation. You were talking it, about p- plants having problems with things, water isn't the other Yeah, way. that's what, explain the water situation quality-wise. Um, well, this is just based on some water tests that I took. Overall, like our pH of our water and the hardness of, a, of our water is really not, I mean, it's kind of ideal if you get that test back. Um, so one thing that we're, I believe we're dealing with is some bicarbonates tying up nutrition. Um, one thing I've seen is we've really narrowed our end to sulfur ratio through our pivots. And I don't think it's because the plant needs more sulfur. I think it's because that's a natural pH buffer that's tying up the bicarbonates more. Now, like I said, this is all opinion, hypothetical. It's not mm-hmm. research driven. But uh, with that in mind, too, you know, one of the common things that are happening in our area, too, is we're, we're fighting um, nitrates as well, mm-hmm. or climbing higher and higher, um, which it matters how big of a deep dive you want to get into nitrogen, but that's another negative Plenty. charge. Mm-hmm. Plenty. Yeah. So, so it's another, so it's another negative <laughs> charge. Um, so I get to the point, uh, and we talked about this last night, about you know different forms of nitrogen and how effective is it to the plant. Mm-hmm. So let's just say it's, it comes out to be five pounds of nitrogen every time you bring that pivot around. Well, in that situation, it's five pounds of all negatives. Not only that, front loading in, so you have your 32, which is, let's just say 25% nitrate, the rest of it's in your positive forms. Now, the things that I'm starting to think about is over the span of when that plant's actually gonna take up in. So if we put 100 pounds early, is really what's going on is we're getting to like a 75% nitrate and 25% positive form because mother nature's gonna convert that anyway. So I think, Going back to the positives and negatives, should we just be applying positive forms? Because nature's gonna turn it into negatives. Now, this is a hypothetical, and yes, I'm gonna test it this year, but that is a thought I've had, is how important is that? Because I I guess I'm a firm believer, um, you know, when you dig into the science, nitrate, you know, and I mean, John Kemp even talks about this too, is nitrate's gonna take three times as much water for that plant to process, because it's going through so many more processes. Not only that, what other nutrients you need to have for that to convert so to into happen. a protein, you right. know? So if you're going more strictly towards a positive form, number one, there's less steps, so you're more efficient with water. And then number two, um, as long as you have carbon involved, you know, things are gonna speed up and that plant's being more efficient. It's not trying to convert something. It's tr- well, what it's trying to convert then is sunlight into sugar, not trying to take nitrate into amino acid base. So that's something that, yeah, that's, that's my soapbox, so. All right, guys, just want to take a quick second and say, uh, if you haven't checked out our website, go ahead and do so. On there, we have the newsletter, merch, distributors, 
product list. Product list. Blogs. Blog, links to blogs, links to podcasts. It's all on there. Yes, I did write it on my hand, so I remembered all of it. Anyway, it's there. Links in the description. Check it out. <laughs> this brings up the point, kind of like we were talking last episode about the different soil tests. Yep. Tissue tests, sap tests. This is something I like about sap. It evaluates the nitrogen form in the plant. Mm-hmm. So you oh. got all these different nitrogens. So are you even converting it? Yes. And, and that sap test will tell you sugar yep. as well. Yeah. So you can, so you can have a... Kind of like he said, this is my opinion, what I've seen, nitrates being contributed to other nutrient deficiencies. So when you have high nitrates and hay and things like that, could be contributed to that as well. Yeah. Which is also water. We all know that. Yeah. Conversions take water-breaking molecules to be able to convert into sugars. So what's the most ideal form of nitrogen? Liquefied urea. Yeah, liquefied urea, amine forms. Um, I mean, you can really dig dive deep. Some ammonium organic, sulfate. Well, uh, uh, organic guys are going to use fish hydrolysis. You know, because it, it, it's an amino that. acid. It's an amino acid chain. You know, bang for your buck. Uh, I don't know if that's the way to go, but on the same token, it is efficient. And if a plant's going through, going to be going through stress, which I guess I haven't mentioned, I operate drones too. So that's the test of what we're going to be doing. Is can you put an amino acid based nitrogen with a little bit of K, let's just say, ten days before that hundred degree heat that's coming, just to get that plant to go through that? So we're not wasting time on stress we're prepared for it we get through it we're converting more so we've seen this year in some tests where if you limit nitrogen particularly up front you can drive more water efficiency not converting the excess nitrogen that the plant has no ability to control so you're driving nitrogen addiction tall plants an excessive amount of water for conversion and in lower yield well, and something to add on that, too, I think about is at the end of the day, that's that those plant roots are going to try to make communications to biology. Mm-hmm. Now, those biology are going to be activated by certain s- soil properties that are going on. Like, I get to the point of, you know, if you're trying to, um, let's just say as a nitrogen product. Well, if your soil is already cycling nitrogen well, putting a biological, biological package out there to cycle more nitrogen is not going to work, mm-hmm. you know? So, I mean, it just goes back to a soybean. If it's really high in nitrate, those, those nodules may not produce. Well, it's because the plant didn't say I needed it because it was sitting there saying I'm fine, so don't produce. As Ben says, more biology is always more mouths to feed. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> now, well, yeah, it's, it's not going to have a symbiosis if it doesn't want it. Yeah. And so it ain't going to have a relation with the biology. So sure. it's essentially wasted money. Yeah. I mean, we're super bi- pro-biology. Well, yeah. when you look super at the, pro-biology. When you look at the Haney test and it shows your so, uh, microbial available carbon, that's your food source for your biology. Mm-hmm. When you run out of food source, it starts going after organic matter. Yep. So you got to feed your biology. Yeah. And now, like, i got a friend in Australia, Tom Robinson, 3,000 acres. All of his nitrogen, liquid urea. He liquefies it all himself. Mm-hmm. Big cone bottom tank, probably 3,000 gallons. Back the tender trailer up Vitito. to it. They dump. Yep, Vitito does this. Michael Vitito does the same thing. Not all of his nitrogen is that way, but he does some of it that way on this crop. Just out of curiosity, does he spike it with sulfur at all? Or is it just straight urea? It's just straight urea as far as I okay. know. Um, he had an awesome presentation of it a year, just over a year ago at the Regen Organic Summit. Okay. Pictures, video, just neat. Feeds all of his crop. He goes, that's 
He said, we've cut back on nitrogen. I thought he said it was over 50%, 70%. Just by going to more plant available More plant form. available. Yep. Well, and to be clear, the other thing is, is like nitrogen, it's not necessarily just to save money. It actually is cutting your own foot off at the same time. Like Spound people, on that a little bit. Well, because just fill in the glass. You fill it up. Yeah. You use the wrong form. You drove. You got to need more water now to convert it. In the West, that's an issue. Um, it's just, it's beyond that. You're dealing with yield drag. You're dealing with additional just in deficiencies, and you're going to run short on potassium and phos and calcium, and now you're spending more money to compensate for that. And you might get a response if there's room. So it's just, it's beyond just cutting things. It's actually improving yield a lot of times. Okay, so now I'm farming 1,000 acres, very hilly ground. You typically, you know, this isn't me, but this is a scenario. Sure. Putting anhydrous out there because it's hills, we can't side dress it. You know, anhydrous is cheap. Put a stabilizer with it. That's our only source of using nitrogen on that thousand acres of hills that you can't side dress. It's all contoured. Yeah. Strips. What other options do I have? <coughs> Move. <laughs> but I bought this in the yeah. 80s 1031. for 1500 bucks an acre. It's yeah. bought and paid for. It's making me money. 1031 exchange. <laughs> we can talk about taxes the rest of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a whole other episode. That's why we should dive in here. Yeah. Um, Is sand, too? No, it's fairly heavy ground. Okay. You can get away with front loading. It's just a matter of what you're going to do with it. I've been on farms where... We've had a cover crop growing, front-loaded a whole pile of nitrogen, and it was some of the best corn I ever grew. Mm -hmm. 32% thiosulfate just smoked that field. I mean, just, it, we terminated it, and then we smoked it with nitrogen, and it just burnt that residue, like melted it. And that was some of the best 99-day corn ever came off that farm. So it was all another hills. thing that I found is, is it, well, what are you smoking it with? What nitrogen? That was what... 32. 32% <laughs> okay. thiosulfate. I'm, I'm this actually wasn't my field. It was a friend of mine's, and I was helping him, just kind of a hired guy helping him. And, yeah, sprayed the field. By the time he finished the, on the one end, the stuff he sprayed first was, like, a completely different color. <laughs> yeah, I think it was, like, 40 or 50 film. gallons per acre, just front-loading hard. But you hmm. did have a lot of carbon in that situation. So on, in that situation, there was no carbon in the... Nitrogen or nothing. It was just no, 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 no. Like the cover plant. Yes, with the cover plant. You know, you know. So yeah. you, you have this natural, natural yeah. buffer that convert that nitrogen into an organic form of nitrogen. Now, I'm, I, I didn't even think of that. That's how much nitrogen is getting absorbed into those plants? Yeah, I couldn't quote pounds, but I think I'm right. And like I said, don't quote me, but I think that's a sixty to one ratio, carbon to nitrogen. Uh, this was a cereal rye crop out there. Yeah, always it was two foot tall. Exactly. I mean, maybe three. Everything that I dude heard, was yeah. nervous. Yeah. <laughs> so it was okay. Really short backstory. This field, this guy rents. It's like forty-five minutes north of an hour north. Last field we plant. Don't even worry about. It. We'll get there. We go to plant this thing, and he gets there, and he goes, "Oh my god, I forgot we put a cover crop out there last fall." He's like, "We got a mess," and all I'm seeing is this lush green as far as you can see. It's like two hundred and fifty acres of hills. Oh my God, that's pretty. <laughs> He's like, we got a freaking mess. He's like, get the sprayer, load it up. We're going, load the semi. We're coming up here. We are blasting. We are smoking it. We got to plant this. He's like, this is going to be a mess. Smoked it off, planted it. 
He's like, oh, he was just nervous, nervous. We got decent rain that year. We come back in the fall, and I'm helping combine. It's like silent on the radio. And I'm like, what's going on? I'm like, I can't keep up with the grain car. We got 2,000 bushel <laughs> grain carts running after an eight-row head in Goat Hills. Trying to keep up to this guy, and he's like, this is the best corn that's ever grown. It's over 250, Jesus, 98 days. Just beautiful. And I'm like, and it was nice, a beautiful stand. Good looking corn. Yeah, that, we that's kind of like that. a mess into other deal with phenomenal. tying up nitrogen in excess into organic material, like whether you ingest it and then break it out like the plant's cover crop, mm -hmm. or if you're going to spray it onto a carbon and then suck it in under your penalty, mm -hmm. is a good way to buff off a front load. Yeah. Hmm. Or an excess carryover. Yep. Assuming the activity is supported enough yes. to break it back yes. down. Very much so. Yeah. You know, you, and not to change gears, but you know, we talk about nitrogen efficiency, and in my neck of the woods, I'm a firm believer that if you're applying nitrogen, you need to have some sort of carbon source with it, just so biology can start tying up to it. Um, then also holding it there, but then also sulfur involved with it some way, shape, or form, because that plant's going to take that nitrogen and turn it into amino acid. Um, I want to say like 9 out of 16 needs sulfur for that to happen. Mm -hmm. So you already have that. So when that plant takes that drink of N, it already has sulfur, it has a carbon. It's trying to truck into amino acid as fast as possible. Okay, so I've started two years ago, two or three years ago, I've started adding sulfur. Anytime I have nitrogen, I'm running liquid, I'm running thiosol, thiosulfate. If I'm running uh, top dress urea in corn, um, hopefully move to Y drop soon, but uh, I'm putting AMS in for sulfur and 10 to 1 ratio. I hear a lot of the guys talk 10 to 1. 10 to 1. 10 to 1. So I'm running 100 pounds of N, I'm running 10 pounds of sulfur. And I don't know if I should be changing that based on my soils, if I should be. <clears throat> I run a little higher. Mine's a 5 to 1. Okay. I, I, run, okay. I, run, I run a 6 to 1 to 7 to 1, but also yeah. we're dealing some of my areas. It's. It's a blow sand. It would be just like you were saying, put up some beach volleyball pits, you know. Yeah. Some beer. Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah. This would be a lot of volleyball pits. So. Yeah. <laughs> volleyball as far as the eye can see. Yeah, yeah. It's right so. next to my hog barn, so you get a pleasant smell while you play volleyball. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so in a pivot, how are you changing your nitrogen program? Because you two are pivots, <laughs> you and I. I don't even know. I don't even know how to turn one on. We don't have to yeah. turn, turn one on. So it's easy. You do it from your phone. Right. <laughs> so you two guys, you know, farming in the areas that you do or uh, consulting, how are you? How are you changing up the nitrogen program to one gain efficiency, raise ROI, um, and buff off economic risk? Well, a pivot. Makes everything great yeah. when it comes to that. We have Mr. Fertigation in He's this here. room. Yeah. He is here in this room. Flesh and blood. Yeah. <laughs> you can essentially bail yourself out at any given time. So you essentially have this, this <clears throat> gift of experiment. If it don't work, I'll just dump it and get out. I'll dump it on, you know, and, and bail myself out. So for me, nitrogen, if I'm working with anybody new, nitrogen, I've always found... I, it's hard enough talk on the cut. It's a whole nother thing to talk forms, and then there's a whole nother thing to talk charge. Yeah, 
Yep. And so, yep, exactly. So it's like, I that's love different conversations. Yeah. You know? yeah. Timing. You know, that's what I focus exactly. on first. Timing, because timing equals form in a way. You're not going to anhydrous if you're fertigating. Now, I have seen a dude do this. <laughs> when you shoot anhydrous in the water, it flashes. Yeah. It gets hot and warp the J pipe coming up the pivot. So, fertigating with anhydrous? Yep, shoot it into the water and it gets hot instantly. But it's doable? <laughs> Sounds like you're making math. <laughs> <laughs> I, it was the weirdest thing. I think he was just had a ball valve and he was just like adjusting it. And that's how he was fertigating and he melt warped the pipe because it got so stinking hot. Whoa. Like the if you well, you don't do anhydrous, but if you ever applied it, the first sign it's on your hands is everything gets hot. Like if your glove gets hot, rip it off because you've got anhydrous on it. But yet you can freeze your drink with it. Oh, because on a few seconds your hand's gonna be an ice ball. Okay. The first thing is a water flash with anhydrous. Yeah. That's what's smoking everything in the ground. Yeah. That anhydrous in there and just instantly burns everything off with okay. the flash. So anyway, so Side tangent, you can talk timing, you can talk types, so you can get out of the anhydrous looking to liquid because you're not going to do it typically. And then you can start playing with the charges and stuff after that. But yep. timing, we talked last night, I've been moving more and more to tassel on corn, more to head on wheat or sorghums. Beans, I don't even screw with that. I think that's a waste of money in my opinion. I'm going to side dress some nitrogen sulfur on my beans this year. Yeah. Not all of them, but some of them. You should do nitrogen and sulfur. That's what I said. Split. A split. Yeah. Yeah, that wouldn't Because it might be the sulfur that does it, not the end. Who was talking about that? I don't know. It was someone just the other day. They were running two different things. I think, well, I think this made this. How do you know it wasn't one? No. Not yeah. Was it? Yeah, was it? Yeah. 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 No, they were using a KTS. Mm -hmm. But was it the potassium? Was it the sulfur? But I'm a firm believer our... our Soybeans are sulfur short during that R3 time frame. Um, and what's the blessing with fertigation? <laughs> you know, because like what, what we did last year on some of our acres is we did um, thiosol through the pivot at a very low rate just to get some more sulfur out there. Yeah, we were throwing a little bit of nitrogen, but I don't think we were getting the bang from that. Now, with that being said, I, I mean, you go to hands-on agronomy or all the, any of these different books, they'll talk about if you're trying to grow you know, 85 plus bushel beans, you're gonna have to supplement some way, shape, or form. Neil Kinsey states, um, soybeans need 300 pounds of nitrogen per acre yep. to grow. I thought he said 70 bushel beans. I think you're right. Now, it is a legume, it produces its own nitrogen. You put a rhizobium bacteria, you know, if you inoculate your beans, that helps make nitrogen as well. But it'll produce most of its nitrogen, but not all of it. He goes, we've seen significant yield responses by side dressing mid to late season some nitrogen. I believe he said sulfur with that as well. I bet so. But he yeah. said just wide dropping some mid to late season. Not a lot, but just giving it that extra boost for more yield. And another like, I want to try it on a few acres. Yeah. I just want to try it. I, I want to try that too, but actually adding a little bit of molybdenum there because that plant, yes. because that soybean is, 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 is making so much too. nitrate. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. it's converting into nitrate. Yep. Well, for that step process that we talked about earlier, molybdenum is could potentially help if your if your soil pH is below six point five. 
you know, because it's, it's just not available or not as available in the soil. So I know that's one thing we're trying this year is whenever we fertigate, which we really do that, well, let's just say three to four times in a season, in that tank we're going to have um, nitrogen, sulfur, boron, and a little bit of molybdenum. Um, just to check those boxes per se. So. My molybdenum level in my soil test that I just pulled is 0 0.01. So yeah, we got a lot out there. That's a lot. <laughs> no, oh. that's a decimal with a zero. I know. Of a yeah, but some of these micros, man, it's yes. like molybdenum very is not little something. is a lot. Yeah, it's molybdenum. about ounces, not pounds anymore. Yeah, yeah. you yeah. don't need five pounds or a hundred pounds of molybdenum. Well, you got to be careful, you know, because on the molybdenum side, when ruminant nutrition, you can get a toxicity yes. too. Yep. That's one thing I wanted. I always wanted to preach to people is molybdenum is key, and I do think it's deficient. But at the same token, know what's going on. Um, because there could be some ruminant nutrition problems. Like in our neck of the woods, it's where cattle country meets corn country. So I always got to have that perspective on the backside of what's, what's going on and how do we utilize something like Molly to make sure we're not overdoing it too. Well, it's like adding so, boron. I've yeah. heard so many co-ops are like, don't put down too much boron. Don't put down much boron. Toxicity. Down. Feel toxic. Boron well, yeah, toxicity. it is on the seed. Yeah, but I have never killed a crop by overapplying boron. Well, boron toxicity really is just a calcium deficiency. Yeah, they tie together. Oh, yeah. What's Michael Benito say? Calcium is the, the driver, boron is the steering wheel. Mm -hmm. I believe that. Because okay. they go hand in hand, or it's vice versa. Yeah. But yeah, I've got crazy high calciums, yep. but I fight having boron. Why? Is it there? Because boron's very leachable. It's very I mean, leachable. It's a like period. Yeah. You know? Right. Yep. Um, rule of thumb, and I believe John Kemp says this, um, you can get away with up to one pound of boron per three inches of rainfall. Something like that. It's yeah, alfalfa is extremely crucial for alfalfa. Hmm. Yep. My, my thing with boron, or at least how we attack it, is it's not about applying all up front. Since we have yeah. the ability for fertigation, we're just putting... Or the product that we were using, we're using just a half a pint every time we're going through. So we're not trying to get XYZ pounds. We just know every time that we're injecting fertilizer, we're trying to get as much, as much fertility out of that drink as possible once that situation comes. Mm -hmm. Now, there's part of me that says, are we trying to do too much? Does that just need to be two applications? Because sometimes we do too much and we're mm -hmm. causing more of a setback than yeah. a gain. So that's stuff I'm tying with. And <clears throat> on my drive back to Ord, if I come up with the answer, I'll let you know, Josh. All right. Yeah. Always, I've always had this theory, if you overdo one thing, you essentially make a plant sick. Yeah. And it, I've seen tests that come in, sap or tissue, come in and you do an overdone, overdo it, and then down you go. Mm -hmm. And it's like the plant pukes its guts out through the root system yeah. if you overdo it. You drive this insane upset. So that's why you can't fully your way through a whole crop. Yeah. And Some people will say you can. I have yet to do it. Yeah. I'm I had a guy tell me it takes, in it takes pounds and gallons, not ounces and, you know, whatever. That's what I was told by several guys. Um, I think if you're biological If you live system, in your sprayer, you'd have to live. But like, you have to apply it in balance. Right. So you have to know. But the problem, I mean, we handheld tissue analysis machines are going to help, things like that. But you got to know, and every spot in the field is different. Yeah. And then if you, especially a if you're dealing with something that's going to be different than an imbalanced spot. If you're dealing with something with this as a, has such a finite toxicity level, it's something that worries me from a guy trying to do it. So you kind of ran into that last year. Mm -hmm. 
in the contest. Just doing it over and over and over and over. Then in the end, killed him. This is my worst corn. Yeah. So. That sucked, man. I was. There's, it didn't matter there's to my population. These... I had I did I had 24, 26, 28,000 out there shooting for 250 bushel corn, and I did a pass of 18,000. And the 18,000 did this exact same as everything else. Like you literally, I mean, I flagged this thing. I climbed it. You, you would you, go by, and there's just flags. I, I, I this whole field was flags, man. <laughs> Every eight rows was something different, and and it, it it didn't matter. That part didn't matter. You know, we talk about planting population, but in that case, it did not change the effect. You know, of, this is now binging off into what we talk about. If you don't have rain. Yep. You can't do it. You, no matter the nitrogen you put on, it won't fix it. Actually, yeah. makes it worse because your conversion. Yeah. You know, if you need water to convert, then you have your problem, and so on and so forth. But God, I just man. think if a guy is going to really get heavy in the foliar, you need to understand how nutrients move within the plant. Yes. Yeah. Because if you yeah. don't spend your money on foliar until you understand that. Because if you don't, you'll Coming go out there experience. and make your own recommendation on the wrong thing. Yes. Because if it's not moving up. Everybody, assume, I'm not gonna say everybody. There's a lot of farmers out there who think it just goes up. You just keep moving it up, and some don't work that way. Some once they're fixed, they're fixed. If Mobiles it, and immobiles. Yes, and it isn't directly correlated to what moves in the soil either. Okay. And so if you don't know, go look before you start making your own recommendations. Yeah. Yeah. So because we hear, man, but you know, potassium and boron is. And the micros are super needed, you know, super important at grain fill. Okay, so There's, what do we do? We just go out and we just put it on. Yeah. You ever, what's, what's going on in your plant? You ever I sit in with uh, New Age's presentations? No. There's, they're ways away from me. There's really okay. none in our area. I just know her first name, Jenny. I sit in on one of her. She does a really good job explaining nutrition movement within a plant and why it matters where you pull. And then it, basically the idea is, is why you pull lower versus the newest yep. collard and yep. corn yep. or mature. And that is huge. So if you, if you ever get the chance to sit in on one of those, it's definitely worth it. Any of those SAP analysis. It's on YouTube. Yeah, I'm sure it's on YouTube. SAP analysis presentation on nutrition movement in a plant. It is a very valuable lesson a guy can learn. If when it comes to foliar feeding like that, I mean, there's just so many things to factor in. pH of your solution you're putting on. Oh, yeah. When are you putting it on? Don't put it on 1.30 in the afternoon when it's 106 degrees. Yep. You know, I did all mine last night, or at night, after I put the kids to bed. Head out to the shop. Before you know it, I got a kid with pajamas showing up down there. <laughs> <laughs> it's happening. boy. It's 10.30 at night, and he wants to help dad, you know, snuck yeah. out of bed. But when you're putting it on, What's your water quality? You know, we talked about this earlier. I'm putting in RO system, reverse osmosis, to strip everything out of my water. It doesn't matter if I'm putting herbicide down or if I'm going to do a foliar pass. Hmm. Stripping that water so the nutrients, the biologicals, I run compost extracts. Um, you know, the stuff that we put in it is in basically stripped naked water, and it should be more plant available. Hmm. And I'm doing that because of people I've talked to that have done it that said that they've seen significant differences running RO water versus just their regular water. And we got amazing well water. Cool. No smell, no taste, the nitrates are below. Oh yeah, it's some people get to drink. chloride, salt, you know, iron, like, all these kind of things. Bicarbonate. A lot of things to factor in. Don't just load the sprayer and go blow it on the plants and just, you know, we foliar fed now, we're good. Yeah. There's you a know. lot of evidence and 
studies being done in bicarbonates and irrigation. And so if we can influence it with irrigation, what do you think that does to your spray? True. Now, we're putting millions of gallons, yeah. but it's also mostly on the soil. I mean, there's been there's been years in my area, and this is few and far between, but our dry land will do better than our irrigated just because of a potential bicarbonate problem. Mm. And you start asking the question, well, how oh. is that possible? I can get on a rant with that. Yeah. Because it's, for my area, it's wheat. Yeah. And for your, you know, Iowa, well, you don't have irrigation, but your area, if, if it's a wheat year, the dry land will out-yield the irrigated. Yep. It just every time. And so that's when I was like, well, we started this whole irrigation talk on applications of when you're going to water and what all these other factors are that's making your irrigated yield less in your dry land. And you've got tenfold the inputs in that stupid thing. And so that's what drove it. But Nebraska guys, you know, southeast area, I hear that all the time. If it really rains, sometimes it goes up in the corners when they go out through a pivot. The yield it's not the other way. You've seen that? I was looking for Mr. Fertigation, but he stepped out. You got irrigation? Oh. Lucky. No, no. Oh. Dang it. <laughs> so. the one, we need him, and he's, he's gone. I know. So now when it comes to nitrogen stabilization, we talked about this earlier. Mm. You said add a carbon source if you can. What other nitrogen stabilizers can we put out there? Like, I've heard of some that are like, don't put this one with your urea or with your 28. It'll actually hinder your soil biology. Stabilizes nitrogen. Yeah. But it'll actually kill off your bacteria or your fungi. Being or very leery of so the like, mass-pushed well, ones. And that, like in the last year, I really questioned everything before I bought it and looked into it. It's like, okay, you got a nitrogen stabilizer. Yeah, it sounds great. What is it? Yeah. What am I buying? Yep. Like, well, oh, it's just this. What else well, is in it? Give me the tag. It? I want to see the tag on what it. What's in it? in it? You know, what's it doing? Like, is there heavy metals in it? I mean, is there, you know, what is, what's going on here? What is it? You know? Cyanide. <laughs> Most people yeah. look at the label on a box or in some food source before they eat it. You know, if you're going to eat something, you usually look at the label. Yeah, yeah. It's no different than putting it on your crops. That's one of my favorite things during the growing season is I'll tell growers, if somebody comes to you and tries to sell you a product, say, can I get a, please get a label and take a picture of it and send it to me. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is I said, I want to check to see if the science makes sense. Yes. Okay. You know, and if they can't give you a label, just send them on their way. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, like, Why? If they are not willing to tell you what's in the product, <laughs> you know, so and that's that's one of the big things that I like um, is just looking at that label. You can figure out a lot of stuff pretty quick. Yeah. So sure. Favorite pastime. Well, that's that's one of the things about having a strong network of people mm -hmm. is, you know, it's like, hey, I don't know what's in this, but I know some people. You know, I'm gonna send this to Johnny. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna send this to, you know, Mason. You know, or what what. We got guys all over the place. What's in this? Mm -hmm. Throw it on the on the you know Facebook the page. What's going on with this? What do you think? Yeah, has anyone used this? You know, guys. Yes, I've used that. Great product. No, I have not used that. You know, yes, I've used that. Stay away from it. Do not do this. Do do that. There's as much information in knowing what not to do as <laughs> knowing what to do. Yeah. Because no, some you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Out of time again. Yep. So we got a third of the world problem solved. We're on roll. One third. We're one on third. roll. <laughs> anyway, cool. Well, thank you guys, um, Johnny. I'm going. I I want to do a podcast with you later on in this growing year, 
following up on some of the drone applications because you are specific in the drone world. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. that's really unique. What size technology. are you at? T40? I'm looking at getting two T40s. I got I got three T30s, and luckily enough, I found uh, enough help to make sure that was possible and got them certified awesome. and all that jazz. Um, but yeah, I I think the drone world there's going to be two different types of business models. One, a farmer's going to own one and do X Y Z number of acres, or you're going to have somebody show up with five or six and say we're going to get this done and get out of here. Yeah. So I'm going towards that second model, and I guess uh, be the test test dummy if you want to call it <laughs> for for that part of the business sure. model. So three years ago, the plane guys were like that'll never work. Now I I can tell you a dozen guys off the top of my head that have drones. Yeah, I started a drone company. Too. Yeah. Like it is so, really taking, and they've gotten so big, they're expanding the laws and regulations. You know, like well, like right now, they definitely have their place. I think with the the number of drones I'm trying to get, I can go to 140 acres in an hour. Is my goal? Oh yeah, so you're right, better with a regular plane anyway. Yeah. yeah. Or better. Yep. And one thing that I've really enjoyed is if that, like I said, a lot of irrigation. If that pivot goes around, I can do half that fill and show up the next day, do the other half. Mm-hmm. So they can keep watering if they absolutely need to. Yeah. Wow. You're not getting spray into the road and people's yards and stuff. What's mm-hmm. What's the top one or two things about drones people should know? Not guys. I'm not going to buy a drone. Yeah. But if I want to have someone come out and do a drone application for me, what's one of the what? Tell me just real quick. First question to ask. Maybe second question to ask. The just kind of the first two things to watch out for. Or, I don't know. Well, I mean, so like if a customer came to me asking questions, yeah, I'd say the biggest thing that I really like about the drones is the speed as it's traveling at a two-gallon acre rate. You know, I'm looking at 15. If I get a T40, that's 23 miles an hour. You know, um, that's not that's not terrible. I mean, compared to like a helicopter or airplane. Now, I will say that aerial applicators in my area do a fantastic job, mm. amazing job. The only thing that I argue is um, just that speed across is the biggest difference, and that's that's where I've seen 14-foot corn, and I've walked into it after I got done doing a full-year feed and seen it at my chest level. And for those of you looking at me sitting, I'm a short guy. So um, it just tells you that it is getting a good push, and that was at a three-gallon-an-acre rate, too. On a drone? or a On a drone. Okay. On a drone. Um, now, I haven't walked behind fields with airplanes, and that, that could be very well possible. I was just really impressed. Ear leaf was getting covered with that full-year feed, and we were trying to accomplish what we wanted to. Yeah, gotcha. Neat, cool. And and test trials is the best part. So I can fill up a sixty-gallon tank that does thirty acres, and with my three drones, it's getting replicated as it's going across, and it's no extra time to me because each drone's going through a percentage. I'd, I'd like to do it at the field day. I'd like to do like a drone demo. Demo. Just mm-hmm. go to a field, have it set up, and it'll just do its thing. Watch it. You know, the amount of air blowing down is just like. Yeah. Until you're there, you're it'd like, be it'd be wow. a fun thing. We'll talk about that. Yeah. It'd be a fun thing yeah. to to just show farmers because there's a lot of guys that haven't seen it. Yep. Pretty cool. Time. We'll put a basket and you can sit in it and it'll carry you around. Well, I mean, I got a 19 month old. You know, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> My wife would kill me. Cool. That's All where right. kids come from. Drones. Yeah. Drones. Yeah. Yeah. Drones. Yeah. No longer a story. No longer a story. There's the title of the podcast, Kids Come From Drones. (laughs) Uh, Cool. Thanks, guys. Um, We'll do some follow-ups in seasons, talk about tests and trials, what worked, didn't work, everything else. So appreciate you guys. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Like, subscribe, share if you want to, and catch you next time. Until next time.
Farm on. Farm on. <laughs> cool.